Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to The Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Peasel from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger in Vegas. How are you, sir? Doing excellent. How are you, Rob? I'm doing good. And Michael Russo in, in Minnesota. Are you in Minnesota? No, I'm in Vegas. Your background. You're in Vegas. Yeah. Oh, yep. so two guys in I'm Vegas. In, I'm in Jesse's extra bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Just down the hall. Oh, man. Yeah. And I'm here. No, I'm, in on, a, I'm on a little uh, little vacation right now. And after watching Minnesota uh, play last night, one of the worst games I've seen them play, one game after the worst game I've ever seen them play, I was kind of glad Joe Smith was writing this story. Hold on. You're, you're in Vegas on vacation and you still took the time out to talk to us? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Look at you. Dragged all that, lugged all this podcast equipment out here and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's probably what we can't see in the screen is like a big thing of Advil and a Gatorade from last night. And just, uh, like, yeah, that's pretty almost accurate. <laughs> uh, I want to mention everybody later on in the show, Mike Rupp, Stanley Cup champion, now with the NHL Network, going to be joining us. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll spoil it right here, guys. I'm going to start the interview talking about, um, the Austin Matthews video that he posted because that had me and my buddies in stitches. So I can't wait to talk to him. And he set, he set Leafs like, uh, Twitter into rage. I think it's awesome. Hard thing to do. It's not, it's absolutely not. And it's so funny just seeing Leaf fans lose their minds and, not listen to what he was saying yeah. at times, but we'll get to all of that. It's like they don't, uh, they don't have enough after. stress. Let's just go after Austin Matthews now. Well, I, I last <laughs> night, so the, I the Golden Knights played the Leafs last night, and I tweeted a tweet that I thought was going to send Leafs Twitter into a rage saying, this goal song sucks. And it was just total agreement. Every Leafs fan on my timeline is like, yeah, dude, you're totally right. I hate it. <laughs> I was like, all right. I, I think that might be the only thing that all Leaf fans agree on. Change the damn God, goal song. Like, we've had enough it is of it. So bad. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it's one of those things where you like, like almost every season do a new goal song. You know what? You got forty-one home game. Every season, pick it. Let the fans, whatever. But just stop doing the same. It, it, it's lost its luster. Anyways, we got a lot to talk about, guys. So let's let's dive right into it. Um, and I don't know how we go from the Leafs' goal song to Evander Kane, but. Uh, that was a scary injury last night, guys. Um, he gets kind of tangled up with Meyer, 
Pat Maroon's skate goes right over his wrist. You see him immediately grab his arm, skating to the bench, yelling. Uh, big pool of blood. Even Maroon was was anytime the other team, the guy who did it, is signaling like, guys, he needs help. You know, it's uh, it's a scary injury. Um, I do want to mention, not long before we started recording this, he did send out a tweet saying, thank you for all the kind wishes and prayers over the past several hours. Went on to thank everyone who was involved in uh, in helping him out. He said it would have been far worse and said he won't be back for the next game, but he will be back on the ice soon. Uh, your thoughts when you saw this, guys, and did uh, did it maybe jog your memory to some other gruesome injuries that uh, you remember seeing that kind of made you go, oh, God, I don't know if I should watch or turn away. Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, my initial thought was... Thank God this isn't an NHL game with like yeah. medical professionals at the arena. It's we forget that these that we're playing this game with knives on your feet um, sometimes, and it's like I, it's almost a surprise that this doesn't happen more often. My first thought was, man, what if this happens like in beer league, in men's league, in a youth hockey league, kids just at the arena, and you don't have medical personnel right on staff, like. Thank God for Kane. He did, and he was able to get the attention quickly. But man, it's that it's a really, really terrifying injury. You don't know wh- what the worst case scenario was with that. Um, I, like I said, I think sometimes we forget how dangerous this game is. Yeah, it really is amazing. It doesn't happen more often. And you know, yeah, I mean, Rob mentions things that it made me think about. I immediately thought of Clint Larchuk. Um, you know, obviously. Obviously, him was jugular and and this was wrist. And but when he got up and I, he saw the panic on his face and then the blood on the ice, it was scary. Um, and then and then Jay Woodcroft's reaction on the bench and then uh, reading Jean, uh, you know uh, Gene's tweets on uh, about how everybody was in the locker room screaming help help. I mean, it just thankfully um, he is okay, and it just shows how good the medical teams are both in the National Hockey League, but also the first responders that are always had every single game. Um, you know, they always have two sets of ambulances there and and ready to react uh, to things like this. Um, you know, it thought, made me think of the Clint Malarchuk. And then do you remember, you know, uh, Rob, the, the, uh, Jesse, the two incidents that happened in Montreal, one with Trent McCleary. I think he took a in slap throat, shot from, uh, throat, from Chris yeah. Terrian. And, um, and then Bill Lindsay also. Um, same thing when I think Bill was playing I, for the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, I'm pretty sure that he took a puck to the throat in the Mont- same Montreal Canadiens doctor and and uh, and and training staff. Um, I did a huge story on it actually with on Bill Lindsay uh, on this incident, and and he to this day says that they saved his life. And um, it, it's just man, thankfully he's okay because uh, it was an absolutely horrifying uh, thing to watch. Yeah, so it's good to hear that he's okay. He says he will be back. He's obviously going to take next game off. We'll see how long that that goes. The Edmonton Oilers last night did beat Tampa 3-2, to I should mention. Um, but yeah, Malarchuk came to me. The Tavares injury in the playoffs kind of came to me. Mm. Didn't Richard Zednick get a skate on that? Oh, yeah. In Buffalo, too. too. Yeah. In Buffalo. He, uh, so, like Jesse said, like if this is men's league or like I used to uh, – on Tuesday nights, I used to play a super late just pickup game where it's just – not even like refs or anything, just dudes on the ice playing hockey. Um, I couldn't imagine. I wouldn't know what to do. If all of a sudden you know, I'm playing, I'd have, I wouldn't. You put pressure on it. That's the extent of my medical knowledge when yeah. someone gets, you know, a skate across their body. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I could get, I could be getting this wrong, but I don't think I am. I think that the same trainer, uh, Pizza, they called him, Jim Pizza. Uh, what, what's his name? Jeff Domet might know. Jim Pizza Telly. I talked to him a couple of years ago because he was working for Ole Okun and Radic Dvorak at the, uh, their hockey school down in Florida. 
Um, but uh, Pizza was his nickname. I think that was the same exact trainer that um, that was working for the Sabres when the Richard Zednick thing happened all those years later. Wow. Um, and yeah, um, I'm almost positive uh, about that. Uh, Oilers, like I said, one three two. Jack Campbell was in that 35 saves. He still is not happy with the way he has been playing this year. In fact, he called it uh, pathetic. That's a, a direct quote. Uh, luckily for the Oilers, Stuart Skinner's been playing really well. We touched mm-hmm. on him last week. Um, but we saw this in Toronto. Jack Campbell, most goalies are hard on themselves, but Jack Campbell seems especially uh, hard on himself when things aren't going well. And is there a more mental position in sports maybe than a goalie? When a goalie is struggling, it's it's tougher getting in his out of his own head than it is doing anything else. And I, when I saw the word pathetic, and that was his quote, I'm like, oh, don't keep doing this to yourself. It only feels like he's digging himself a, di- a bigger hole. Yeah, I mean, you've got to have a short memory. I, I think, I think being like easier se- said than done. Right, right. I think right? being yeah. self accountable is big. Like, I think if you if he were playing poorly and in his mind he really didn't feel like he was playing poorly, that's an issue. Like that, you need guys to be self aware enough to know, like, I have to be better than this. But piling on yourself in the media, especially like saying these things outwardly, probably not the best. Like you said, I think not only is it the biggest mental position, but just confidence. It helps every player in every sport, but man, when a goalie's confident, he's challenging better. Like it just, he feels like he's going to make the save every time. And, and you're surprised when it doesn't, when, when, when it goes in. Whereas Campbell, it feels like he's almost surprised when he has a good game and plays well. He's expecting to, to go out there and struggle. It's so difficult to switch it around. Like you said, easier said than done. It's he's I don't know what he's going to do. You need a couple good games to and and suddenly you start feeling better. It's it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing. Like you you have to have the good results in order to build that confidence. You can't just turn it around yourself and and, and just suddenly flip the switch. I'm going to be confident now. Yeah, there's a fine line. I mean, what I do, I do love goalies that, that take accountability. Um, you know, Flurry does that all the time and things like that. But there is a fine line between, you know, taking the accountability and holy mackerel, are you just right now mentally unraveling in front of our eyes? And it is. It's such a tough, tough position. You know, it's been interesting about some of these teams that have had their, you know, goalies uh, struggling is, is, is you know, th- they have a sidekick that has been saving the day. And, you know, you mentioned Skinner in Boston. All Mark's been unbelievable. Um, you know, there have been, uh, you know, that has probably been a very reassuring thing for Edmonton, who's still figuring out ways to win games and, you know, biding time maybe for for Campbell to get his act together in his own mind. Yeah. You just kind of want to pat him on the back sometimes. It just feels like every yeah. time he lets a goal in, <laughs> it's, not like, so bad. it's okay, man. It's okay. Everything's yeah. all right. Um, switching gears a bit here. Stop me if you've heard this one, guys. Jim Rutherford's not happy and he's blaming a certain person without blaming a certain person. Remember, uh, a couple of weeks ago on After Hours, uh, he had said, we have to play within a stronger structure to make the game easier for all our players. So you say structure, you automatically go to the coach, Bruce Boudreaux, who's on the hot seat. Well, this week on Canuck Central, he said, quote, in order for us to become a better team, we have to play with a stronger system and really be more accountable for some of the things the players are struggling with. Uh, if we were playing a real strong structure, it would make it easier for our defense to play and it wouldn't matter who was on our defense. But right now, we don't have that strong structure and we need to change the makeup of our defense. And in that same interview, he also again ripped on set, you know, he keeps on alluding to the fact that he thought they had an awful training camp as well. Um, you know, they weren't home. It was weird. It was like they were on the road all of training camp. I think they were up in, in uh, Whistler and, and, uh, and then constantly traveling and things like that. 
Um, I don't know what's going on there. Like, uh, like we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like either, you know, let Bruce go down with the ship or put him out of his misery. Right. They're, they're, you know, but don't look now. I mean, they're, they're basically a point out of a playoff spot. So they're, they're figuring this out here. They're not getting great goaltending there. We've talked about their blue line to the nth degree uh, on how they're struggling. And I just don't understand. It just, it does feel at this point that Jim is just, is just, um, you know, trolling Bruce uh, publicly, and Bruce is not the. I've mentioned this before. Bruce is, you know, from a security standpoint, he he always, even in the best of times, um, is pushed by the fact that he always thinks he's going to get fired, and so this is obviously not going to help matters as well. Um, and, tr- and the entire coaching staff, Mike Yo is there as well, and um, you know, it, it probably. I hate to say this as a media member because we love honesty from the GM and the president of the team that we're covering, but you know Jim might want to you know sit a couple of these interviews out if it, if, if he's going to continue. Well, that's what we love about Jim Rutherford. He's always so honest and tells us exactly. There's no cliches. There's no um, you know he just he he puts it right out there and uh, he's clearly doing that. But it's it's creating more distractions and putting a lot of pressure on the coaching staff right now. I have a theory, and this is. Nobody's told me this. This is no no source or anything. This is just Rob Pizzo's mind bouncing around. One of the reasons we've heard that maybe the Canucks haven't fired him just yet is because they're already paying Travis Green, and they don't want to pay Travis Green and Bruce Boudreaux and whoever the hell they hire as his replacement. Do you think Rutherford has wanted to fire him, has been overruled by ownership, and this is just his way of giving the middle finger to, to them saying, I want to fire this guy and you won't let me, so I'm going to say as much. I, as I can in the media to finally force your hand and let me let this guy who I didn't want to be our coach in the first place go. It would certainly make more. Yeah. I mean, it would certainly make more sense than, than pretty much anything else because it's like, I don't see how you expect the players to, to rally around this coach and, and fit into his system when the GM is publicly saying he's terrible every chance he gets. Uh, the, the other point that I'll make is the line that stood out to me was, If we played better structure, it wouldn't matter what defenseman we have back there. Like, maybe you should have good defensemen so that you don't have, like, I I feel like that's such an excuse for putting a terrible blue line of players out there that you're, you're saying, if we played a better structure, we, it wouldn't matter what defense, it, it wouldn't matter how crappy my defensemen are. We'd be able to play defense anyways. It's like, or you could have more talented players so that you wouldn't have to do that. I don't know. It, to me, they're all just passing the buck. It's, I think it's not going to fix things. Like I, I don't see how this can help. Mike was mentioning like it's putting more pressure on the coach. I think it's hurting the coach's ability to coach the players. I mm-hmm. think it. I don't think it can help the the team fit into his system, buy into his system, buy into his beliefs when the GM is is talking about the coach this way. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the complete opposite of what Doug Armstrong did a couple of weeks ago. Not that what Doug Armstrong has done worked, right? They've lost eight in a row now, and they're getting annihilated every single night. But if you remember, I mean, I think Doug recognized there was some big push and pull going on in that room between players and the coaching staff, and he wanted to put the edict out right there on the players that Craig Berube was going nowhere. And here, you're if you're playing for the Vancouver Canucks, you're right away going in that room every day thinking, well, I know I'm not going to be out of here. It's going to be that guy. Um, and, and I just think it's a bad message to be sending these players. And, and, um, and again, I, I just don't know what he's trying to achieve. I, I do, I don't want to know, I don't want to say because it is conjecture that, that Rob's, um, you know, theory is, is accurate, but it makes a lot of sense because we, you know, let's just, the one thing we do know is that Bruce Boudreaux won an extension just for one year and Jim Rutherford had said, absolutely not. You're coming back on your, 
extension that he didn't even know existed, by the way, yeah. until uh, late that 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 they had that option there. And um, I th- I think that is something that is pretty obvious that that at a minimum Bruce Boudreau was not going to be the long term solution in Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin's mind for the Vancouver Canucks. And again, and like I said, that's why I made it. I wanted to make it very clear. This is just my my head rattling around here on it. But it, it almost reminds me of my three year old daughter when you say "Don't touch that." What is she going to do? She's going to touch that until you say, you know, it, it just it just kind of feels like he's trying to prove a point. And I'm kind of at that point with you, Russo, like. Okay, enough. Either he goes down with the ship and, you know, at the end of the year, you say we're done with Bruce Boudreaux or get rid of him because it just seems as though it's, it's getting petty. And, and like Jesse said, it's tough, tough to coach a team when you're right. when the boss keeps saying you're terrible. Right. And I will say this, Bruce has proven in his, you know, when he's gone into Anaheim and he's gone into Washington, when he came into Minnesota, that he could be the ultimate rallier. And maybe the worst thing in the world here would be happening is like he gets them out of this and then they got to figure out a way or or how now do we get rid of them? So like it it just it's it's such a bizarre situation. And and that's why I said, look at the standings there. I mean, and the way that everybody else is playing, like, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Vancouver could figure things out here and and get get themselves into a playoff spot. And and um, and yet here we are uh, with Jim Rutherford uh, constantly going after the coach. I think if they win tonight, they're in the playoffs, like in playoff position. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, along those lines, though, you mentioned Doug Armstrong. Well, we fly over to Ottawa, and DJ Smith was one of the guys we talked about being on the hot seat. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Pierre Dorian decided to hold an impromptu session with the media. Uh, hadn't spoken to them since training camp, and it was basically to give his coach a vote of confidence. Quote, I think DJ's done a good job. He's shown he can win. I'm not giving uh, votes of confidence because I think that's foolish, but DJ is our coach. He's going to be our coach. I have faith with how this team plays under DJ. So does that mean DJ Smith should start packing up his office? That's <laughs> usually that's usually the, the the kiss of death when a GM yeah. calls the reporters over to say he's safe a week later. It's like, ah, oh, we've well, got something else to say. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. In Minnesota, we're in St. Louis once, and Chuck Fletcher comes out and gives Mike Yo a vote of confidence, and Mike Yo said that he knew he'd be gone in within a week, and he was. Uh, wild return home, played a couple games, lost to the Boston Bruins, and Mike Yo was out. Um, and that does sometimes seem to be the way it is. I don't know what's going on with that team. I think that they have the all, all the elements to eventually be a great team. They have a lot of really quality young players there to build on. Um, they, just, they do need to just sort of grow and mature together. I mean, the one thing out of covering uh, that game in Ottawa um, a week, week and a half ago, um, end of October, is they do some really funky stuff coming out of their own end. Um, and, you know, and it's guys that it's not just the young guys, it's the Shabbats that have been around. And so they just need to be coached. And I don't think that that means that DJ Smith's doing a bad job. I just think that this is a young team trying to grow together. They added a bunch of, um, you know, uh, the, you know, you're trying to assimilate guys like uh, Giroux and Dabrinkit and obviously Talbot's now back. Um, players like that in with these young guys. And I just think it's just the growing pains of a young uh, team that's developing into eventually in the next couple of years being a, a real, I think, contender in the Eastern Conference. Right. I, I totally agree. I feel like it's a work in progress. And I feel like, yes, the whole vote of confidence, kiss of death thing is true. But I feel like he almost understood that while he was saying it, it was like, I know you guys are all thinking. So that's why he's... <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Right. I know what you're like, thinking. Like, <laughs> I that's why I don't maybe I'm wrong and and I'll look like an idiot but I feel like this was genuinely him saying like 
like this was a real vote of confidence, not a mm-hmm. this is going to lead to a firing vote of confidence. And and I think it's because of well, remember the- he doesn't he doesn't have that owner anymore behind him saying get rid of him. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so and, now he is really running the show. And I, and I think the reason he said that and the reason he believes that is because of all the things Mike just said. It's this is a they're in the process of building a good team. They're not a good team. They're I mean they they have the pieces to be, but I think it takes some time and I think it like Mike said they're they need a, they need to be coached up. That doesn't mean they need a new coach. That means maybe this coach just needs more time to coach this team up and I think bringing in a brand new coach in the middle of the season with a new system is not going to get this they're not it's not going to turn this Ottawa Senators team into a playoff team. Um I think that they need to continue on the process and eventually they can get there. But um, yeah, that, I, I don't expect him to be fired. And I, and I think that this is an actual vote of confidence, not the kiss of death type. Uh, okay, guys, a couple more things before we go to break and get to Mike Rupp. Uh, I'm going to call this the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, we're, we're 11 to 15 games in, into everyone's season. Um, and I've got some teams split up into these two, three uh, categories. You look at the good. You got Vegas eight in a row. Detroit, second in the Atlantic. New Jersey's just been incredible. Islanders, Seattle, Chicago. I think all those teams have won more games than we thought they would have by this point. The bad, I mean, the Flames have lost five in a row. Penguins, four, six, and two. And I only have one team really in the ugly, and that's the Blues who've lost eight in a row because we've talked a lot about Vancouver anyway. Um, Which one's the most surprising to you guys? You can pick from either category, good, bad, or ugly, because I will say this. If you had told me 15 games in that the Devils would be leading the Metro, the Bruins would be leading the Atlantic, the Jets and Stars would be on top of the Central, and Vegas top of the Pacific and the whole league, I would have said you're nuts. Russo, what's the biggest surprise to you so far? Well, since I'm a cynical sports writer, I'll take the pessimistic uh, glass half empty (laughs) point of view and I'll go with the ugly, and that's the Blues. I mean, I I am shocked at uh, the team that started 3-0 to be this bad. Um, Cairo's been abysmal. Bennington's been abysmal. Uh, Thomas is doing very little um the guy two guys i gave eight-year deals at exactly the same price um there really does seem to be um you know push and pull between the players and and baruby right now um the fact that they could that baruby could have these hard practices where he's dropping f-bomb after f-bomb and doug armstrong could come out and unsolicited sound the alarms and then they lose what three or four in a row since getting blown out every single that's an alarm bell and i you know you do have to wonder i don't you know i trust me i'm not one of those people that buy into the whole or or believe that you always have to react to the whole expiration date theory but i do think that when you have team that's been around a long time together um it is so hard to be disciplined and play the same style in this National Hockey League. It takes such work ethic every single night and there's no gimme games anymore. And I just think that it's so easy to lose your game and then start to have things crumble around you. And I think that is what's going on with the Blues right now. And they are going to have to figure it out. And uh, bad news for them, usually the tonic to all their ills is the Minnesota Wild and they don't play them until New Year's Eve. So, um, you know, that's usually a team that the Wild usually go in there and lose about 8-1, 9-1. Uh, on a on a good night, um, so uh, that's not going to happen for about seven more weeks. So uh, they better figure it out in that interim. I was gonna say the Blues because to me that's the most surprising thing, but because Mike uh, explained it so well, I'll go the opposite and I'll go the best team in the league right now, the Vegas Golden Knights, the team I cover. I am totally shocked. I thought that this could be a very good defensive team under Bruce Cassidy, but it was going to take a lot of time um, installing a brand new system, totally different from anything they've run. 
Um, and they've been the best defensive team in hockey. They obviously have allowed the fewest goals with a goalie tandem of Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill. Like we thought that was going to be a major issue coming into this year. They have the highest team save percentage because the defense has played so well in front of them. And then the other surprising thing is I think if you would have said the Golden Knights are going to have the best record in the league, it's going to be because their stars are just absolutely on a tear. And while their stars have played well, Stone, Eichel, Riley Smith, William Carlson, they've played well. The reason this team is 12 and two and they have the best record in the league is because of the depth, which I thought was going to be the downfall of this team. The Golden Knights are the only team in the league with nine players with at least eight points. And they're the only team in the league with eight players with at least 10 points. They are getting scoring all the way down the lineup, which is like, it's, it's crazy. This team, I, if you would have told me they were going to be good, I would have been a little surprised, but they're doing it in the exact opposite way that I would have expected, um, which is great sign for this team, because I still think the star players have more to give. I think Jack Eichel is starting to come around. He's starting to dominate games the way the Golden Knights hoped he would when they, when they traded all those first round picks and he's making 10 million a year. He's starting to look like that player. But in the meantime, while he's, while he's kind of on that runway, getting up to it while Mark Stone is still trying to figure out his way after having back surgery. They've really been carried by a strong fourth line. To me, they have the best fourth line in the league right now. Um, so not only is it surprising that Vegas is good, it's surprising how they're doing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. That Mark Stone pass last night to Eichel was just ridiculous too. I mean, that guy's hands sometimes just blow my mind. So yeah, I'm with you on Vegas. I, I To me, that's the one that just kind of like, Eight wins in a row, twelve and two, twelve and two start. I don't care if you're the '84 Oilers. A twelve and two start is something that makes you kind of go, "What is going on there?" So the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, no good way to transition to this, guys. We can't go to break without talking about the Mitchell Miller <clears throat> situation that unfolded, the saga, fiasco, embarrassment, whatever you want to call it. Um, just a real quick timeline for any of our viewers who have been hiding under a rock for the last week. If you remember, he got drafted in 2020 by the Coyotes. They relinquished those draft rights when a story was published about how in middle school, he and a classmate were convicted in juvenile court for assaulting and bullying a black classmate who also had developmental disabilities, um, was accused of you know many racial slurs, and the Bruins went and signed him anyway. And there was just huge public you know, outrage from not only the fans and the league, but Boston Bruin players themselves, which to me was the biggest shock. I was watching some of those interviews and I thought, well, how is this guy going to come into your dressing room? Uh, two days later, the Bruins cut ties and Cam Neely basically, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously said, oops, we dropped the ball. We didn't do our due diligence. Um, a lot's happened over the last seven days, guys, and, and I'm going to do read a little bit of a statement in a second, but I want your opinions on this this craziness and, and how we even got to this point. Jesse, we'll start with you. Uh, it's an absolute joke that they signed him, and I think that it it's one of those cases of they didn't want to know. Um, I think it was uh, when, when they say, oh, we didn't do our due diligence, it's like, well, you could have. It was very easy. Uh, we saw the statement that his mother Put out. We saw the statement that he put out. If you would have asked either of them, it would have been very clear that you shouldn't sign this player. But when they say, oh, well, we didn't know all that. It's like, well, because you didn't want to know. You didn't reach out to them. You didn't talk to the people you should have before doing it. If you would have, it would have been very clear to you as it is to everyone right now that you probably shouldn't have signed that contract. I think it was a case of, well, what we don't know won't hurt us. Let's just sign it. And then they dealt with it afterwards, which has obviously been a mess. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, it just never ceases to amaze me that the idiocy of some front offices. 
Uh, and the people that run, I mean, these are billion dollar businesses now. And yet you put these guys in place that just are like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm trying to be respectful and, tr- and, but also struggling to find, I don't want to just call them a bunch of idiots and morons and things like that, but that's how I feel. I just don't understand how you didn't see this shit storm coming. How tone deaf do you have to be in today's day and age, this new climate and this culture that is, tr- that they are trying to, you know, create in this sport after years of being archaic. And yet here you do, you go about and you sign a kid that clearly the Arizona Coyotes felt eventually they had to rescind the rights to. And then you go up and, and just do this while the team is in Toronto on a 10 and one streak. It just, it, it, I mean, none of it made any sense. And I'd just love to know, I mean, you know, me as the reporter, I would just love to know how this first came about. I mean, they were obviously talking to his camp for a while. Okay. That is very clear. That's been made pretty clear the last couple days but who came up with the initial idea who thought this was a good idea like the fact that cam neely is trying to pass the buck to don sweeney and sweeney's clearly trying to go to the opposite way to you know like it's it's been cam neely's uh quotes on press releases and things like that which is very odd um i just don't understand how nobody thought like hey by the way and then cam neely comes out and is like we have to get to the bottom of who didn't call the family (laughs) you're the president of the team like i i just I, I, it just it, it blows my mind how tone deaf this is. And after I have another point um, on second chances, but Robert, I, I, I the one thing I, I think that we should need to read Isaiah's statement. Yeah, so that was what I was. I wanted to get your initial impressions first. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's it's quite long. But the Hockey Diversity Alliance tweeted this. It, it was sent directly to them, uh, and it's from Isaiah Meyer Crothers who who asked them to to publish this, and it's on Twitter. And um, I'm not going to lie, guys, it, it, it's a tough read. Um, it's, it's sad. It, it's, it's one of those ones where you start reading and, and you instantly want to give Isaiah a hug because no human being on earth should go through some of the things that he went through, um, at the hands of, of, of Mitchell. It, it's, he says, I am Isaiah Meyer Crothers. I would like to make a statement. I've been bullied since the first grade. There were not many black kids in my school. I was called Brownie and N word in which he, he, you know, I'm not going to obviously say it on the show. Uh, kids said my black mom and dad didn't love me. And that's why I had white parents. Mitchell used to ask me to sit with him on the bus. And then he and his friends would punch me in the head. This happened at the whole time. He went on to say that when he wanted to sit next to them, uh, sit at their table at school, he had to say that I am an N word. Um, they, even when, when he got suspended, he mentioned that, you know, Mitchell's friends just pretty much took up the slack and continued doing it. Um, and he has since like tried texting him. And, and I think that's the number one thing for me here, guys. All the evidence I've seen throughout these, the investigations of all this story have shown that Mitchell Miller absolutely had no remorse. And that's the problem. Um, if he shows no remorse for his actions, not that like to me, all of this shows a, a, an underlying problem. This isn't a one time mistake sort of thing. And I know you're going to touch on this, Russo. Um, but when you feel the need to send, you know, a, a letter to all 31 teams before the draft saying how sorry you are, but you never apologize to the victim, you never apologize to the victim's family, you never apologize to anyone else. That's who I feel for the victim's family having to pick up the newspaper and read that the, the, the player who tormented and ruined their son's life, um, has signed an NHL contract. And then, you know, the Bruins, 
have said they've parted ways, but they haven't terminated the contract because you know what's going to happen, guys. The PA is going to jump out and say, whether you like this kid or not, a contract was signed and nothing's changed since that contract is signed. So are we telling me that this kid that I'm reading horrible, horrible, horrible things about is just going to keep getting paid? It's 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 been an embarrassment. Like, for lack of a better term, what the fuck are we doing here, guys? Like, what is going on? Like, I, I it's been bothering me all week and I just can't, sometimes can't even find the words to, to, to talk about it. Yeah, they're not going to be able to just terminate his contract. I mean, that is yeah. clear. Um, you know, they're going to have to. I mean, the easiest, quickest way to just get this done is to try to go to the PA and, and Mitchell Miller's camp and, and try to work out a settlement, or just, um, you know, uh, you know, get him to the off season and buy him out there for. I think since he's less than twenty six, one third. So that would be the way to do it. Um, you know, and you know, teams have done this before, where you say, "All right, we're going to pay you the rest of the year." Go home, but you're not going to Providence. You're just go home. We're going to pay your minor league salary. Um, that that could happen, and that's probably the easiest way that could happen. I talked to the PA about this yesterday, actually. Um, but on second chances, this is the one thing because you know I I obviously you know I had a couple you know when, when I caught up um, to everything that was going on that night, I, I was fuming just reading all this, and I threw out a bunch of tweets, and and then you get the you know the the almost expected you know. Oh, when, you know, when does it end? Does his kids, you know, should his entire life be ruined because of a mistake he made when you were a child? Don't we all deserve second chances? Yes, yes, we do. Okay. But first of all, playing in the National Hockey League is not a just a given right. Okay. It is a privilege. There's certain, uh, you know, ethics that should be in place. And you don't just put those, uh, put anybody in the National Hockey League. And what you did years ago sometimes does have repercussions. But the other thing I want to say about second chances is that he wasn't five years old. He wasn't six years old. This was not a child undeveloped. I don't know about you, but when I was in eighth grade, when I was 14 years old in ninth grade, which was the age that this allegedly happened, and it apparently happened for years. I, I knew the difference between right and wrong. I knew what words not to say. I know we're all, we have different intellects. We're all raised differently. There's all sorts of factors that get you to a point where you are at a certain age, the way that you think about right and wrong. But I knew not to take somebody's, take candy and put it in a urinal and then force feed it to somebody. It is, it is just unconscionable to sit there and just pretend that this was just a mistake that he made at 14 years old. This was six years ago. Okay. <laughs> like, like this is, this is not, I mean, this is just insane to me. The people that just think that this is one little mistake that he made when he was a child. And, uh, sorry, the guy does not deserve to be in the National Hockey League. It's plain and simple. I, I totally agree with both of you. And I think Rob brought it up. It's a great point that if this was a one, in one time incident, even at 14, it was like, ongoing. I, I agree yeah. with Michael that, like, at 14, you should be a little more responsible for what you're doing than when you're eight. But also, even at 14, if this was a one time thing, he was at a party and he was mean to this kid, it's like, okay, like, I could, we're, we all do dumb shit when we're 14. But to do this every day for a long period of time shows that this was not a, oh, I was a dumb kid, I made a mistake. Like To me, that shows that this is a pattern of behavior. This is how he feels. This is how he is. And I agree with Michael that should it ruin his whole life? No. But playing in the NHL is the ultimate like privilege of being the best hockey players in the world. Like These are the best hockey players in the world. These are the role models that kids look up to. Everyone doesn't get to just play in the NHL. Yeah, I, I just, again, just come down to like, what were they thinking? Yeah. Like, I mean, well, I mean, is, is Mitchum is, is, is he Bobby or like, what was the point yeah. of I, I, like it just it made 
I, I just, I, I just blow it away how stupid this whole thing was and how, how it was so self-inflicted. This wasn't even as if all of this came out in between signing and parting ways. Yeah. Like, you know, I had a guy, I had a guy in my men's league team. We were talking about this in the dressing room and he literally goes, if we all knew this stuff, how the hell did the Bruins not all know this stuff? And I'm like, exactly. Like right. that's, that's the exact point. Like, all we're really finding out now is even more gruesome details. But even the stuff we did know between signing and, and, and parting ways was bad enough. And it was an ongoing period. So something needs to be done. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't accept the oops. I don't accept the we didn't do our due diligence. I don't accept the he, oh, it was way worse than we thought. It was bad to start with. And here we are now, now this person who's done horrible things for a long period of time. Whether he's at Providence, in the NHL, at home or not, he's getting a paycheck every two weeks, and I don't like it. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, all the power to and, and I really do. I know Cam Neely said this quite a few times during the press conference where he apologized to, the, to, you know, to Isaiah's family. Yeah, a little late. I, I, you you got to feel for, for that whole family and having to re- go through all this all over again. So, you know, I, I, this also to me epitomizes again a problem in a lot of front offices is that you have these head honchos, whether it's Sweeney or, or Neely, and then you have a bunch of support people that are, you know, should be on the same level of them that don't feel comfortable just saying, uh, can we rethink this? Can we just uh, let me it's take devil of that? Let me play devil's out. I mean, you know, there are so many front offices that just have yes men and yes women and just sit there and just whatever the GM says goes. And I just don't understand how nobody with the Bruins um, that we know of, um, you know, said, uh, Cam, Don, uh, let me just tell you real quick. Like, can we just do a quick Google search? So you might know what uh, other stuff might be. I mean, it just, it's amazing to me that, that no, I think that's, I think that's a great point because a lot of, you know, it's tough for even for us, you know, I'm sure we've all disagreed with a boss and wanted to be like, what are you doing here? But when your boss just happens to be, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, people who are very prominent in the hockey world, as far as even when in their playing days, it's tough to kind of go, guys, like, look at this. You know what I mean? And I'm sure in that meeting, even if someone did, Russo, I'm sure the brass were like, ah, he's 14. Everybody deserves a second chance. Well, not this kid. Anyways, I'm sure this is not the last time on this show we're going to be talking about this. I'm sure uh, it'll it'll come back up when when even the league, who Gary Bettman came out and said, I don't, I, he's probably never going to play in the league because they didn't like the signing either. We'll have to wait and see how this thing shakes out. Uh, how the show's going to shake out is Mike Rupp's going to join us after the break, so don't go anywhere. Trust me, it's going to be fun. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, guys, our next guest, of course, is a Stanley Cup winner from back in 2003. Not only that, scored the cup-clinching goal, which I'll concede that's probably number one on his career highlight list. I think number two happened this week when he basically won the internet with his video describing what happened with Austin Matthews. Uh, I was ecstatic because I watched the video about 10 times, sent it to my buddies. We talked about it. And as we're talking about it, I get a text from our producer, Jeff, saying, hey, Mike Rupp's coming on the show this week. I'm like, fantastic, because I can't wait to talk to him about this and so much else. Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I didn't think that, listen, this is, I started messing around doing a couple of these things now and then. Uh, I got this, you know, just fumbling around on my on my uh, my iPad. I found this app that is really good. It's got a nice little, nice little rewind and and wheel on it where you can get some stuff and and it's generally used for for trying to do little breakdowns when I'm not working because I just I don't know I just find that that's like when I when I find something I'm passionate about or something and I'm I'm on the couch watching games like we all do I think it's I think it's cool for the fans to like get the instant you know bang like even if I'm wrong or right whatever the circumstances I think that that those are things I know that I eat up and and consuming other sports so I want to try to provide that and uh so this was just that i went to bed uh, i sent that thing out like at 11 something at night <clears throat> went to bed and i woke up in the morning and my phone just blowing up like oh okay i guess this is what uh what happens when you uh talk about the toronto maple leaf so yeah well, i, ch- I yeah, checked i'm sure ch- i'm sure sorry Mark, sorry was, i checked like right before we started recording this pod and there was 1.2 million views on that video alone which i thought was just fantastic. I'll let Russo get his question in a second, but I do want to ask you, you know, because I always tell young broadcasting students, they always ask for advice. And I say, the one thing you got to remember is you're always going to lose out to a former coach or player because they have insight that we just don't know. And that's what I loved about the video. Like, I love the fact that you were talking to us about the guys in the room are no longer going to to accept this. So just as a guy who's been there, a guy who won a cup, a guy who's played with some of the greatest players of all time. I mean, what... What really just struck you during that whole thing that made you say, you know what, I got, I got, I got to vent a little bit about what I'm seeing. Well, well, let me vent with this first off because I would say to be to be completely transparent of everything that I saw, I would say it was sixty five thirty five as far as people agreeing with it, and then there's quite a few who didn't. You know what I mean? But the the part that irked me afterwards, and I know. I know this will get Mike going for sure. And I'm sure both of you guys as well. <laughs> Stop putting words in my mouth. I did not say Austin Matthews should fight. I don't ever want to see him yeah, fight. Yeah. I don't ever want to see superstars fight. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I said. That became the thing where everybody's just like, well, do you think Austin should drop the gloves there? I don't think he should drop the gloves there. All I was saying in those moments, though, it's like, you know, it went from that. And then the other part, too, that you mentioned, um, Rob is like, <clears throat> I didn't say his teammates don't like him. They probably love him. I don't know that dynamic. All I'm saying is that will wear thin over yeah. time. 
And uh, so it, I'm watching it. And so the scrum happened and I'm watching it through a couple of times. And, and it, what tipped me to kind of dig into it more was Austin gives that smirk. And we've seen that smirk many times and that's fine. I kind of like the smirk in general because it's going to aggravate and antagonize the other team. And that's, well, you know, that's kind of hockey sometimes. Right. And I've certainly been someone who's done that in, in my career in a much uh, lesser of a star scale, <laughs> but uh, you know, you try to push the other team's buttons. So that's what got me going on it. But then I was like, I washed it back, washed it back. I'm like, he kind of like kept this thing going and he didn't want anything to do with it. And <clears throat> I'm like, okay. So, uh, so I'm like, all right, well, you know, I I've seen a million scrums. I've been involved with them. I watched them. I've, and this is the part too, that ever, and this is, you know, God bless Twitter. What does that guy know about scoring 60 goals and managing this net? Well, let me tell you what I know. And this is, this will let me back. What I do know is, that I was a role player, that I was, I was, I'm, I have tons of gratitude. Everybody's given me an opportunity to live out my dream and play in the league. I certainly was not as skilled as all these other guys, but you think for one second, all the great players that I played with, that I wasn't a sponge in talking to them, look, watching them, seeing how they manage situations. I mean, you could sit there and look at, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we're all can break it down as players at different times. But I mean, I've had, I've been so fortunate to watch probably 10 Hall of Famers that I played with in my career that I could see how they manage things. They showed me how to win. People are like, oh, what does this guy know about, you know, yes, that, that, that the cup that we won, I was in great hands. I didn't win the cup for the New Jersey Devils. I scored a timely goal, you know, but I watched those guys, how they manage things. I, I know what it looks like for a championship team, what it needs to feel like in the room. I've seen Sidney Crosby na navigate through these things that Austin Matthews navigating through. My thing is you cannot, you cannot act like this will get take care of for you if you're the one initiating it. And my problem with that is, I love that he went after connect me in the corner. I like that. I don't, I actually think one of the best things I've seen from Austin Matthews was, and people probably disagree with this to some degree, taking Darlene's bloody head off in the outdoor game. I thought that was one of the best things because Austin, the, the, my point is when he reacts like this, the line is getting longer and longer and longer for people that want to challenge Austin Matthews. It, Cause you know, uh, and so he, he, you know, in, in this game, I guess my point is this Toronto Maple Leafs team, and it's certainly a team that the sky is falling all the time in Toronto. Uh, they're a talented, talented team. They're a team that Austin scored 60 goals last year, and he was the MVP hands down. He's one of the top, you can argue, three players in the world right now. I love what he brings. This group needs to find another level. And we can't measure this group until the playoffs. And all I know is that, that if that was a litmus test of is anything different, I would say no, nothing's different. I think if you've got an A on your sweater, you need to lead your group, inspire your group. And if you're going to start a little bit of some, uh, you know, a little ruckus, then you better be involved with them and not stand there and smile. And that image that I saw when I did that video and I had that little scrubber on my iPad where it's showing a shit storm move this way. And there's one person just standing in there staring down at nothing. That's alarming to me. What do you, are you in this with them? Or are you not? I thought it was a great moment for Mark Giordano, Michael Bunting, <laughs> Kelly Yarncroke, Rasmus Sandin. Cause we've been questioning that for a long time. That's been answered. Those guys, I love how they responded. 
be in it with them, man. Be in it with them. And then a whole nother conversation to that. If Austin Matthews ever did drop the gloves, I've been in the locker room when Sid did it. I can't even tell you what it does to the locker room. I can't even tell. I don't. But if he doesn't want to do it, I, I don't want him doing it. I don't want him to get hurt. But like inspire this team. You, you, you have to lead. That to me was not an example of leadership. And that's kind of why it went off. Yeah, I found the whole video, I mean, fascinating, just from your perspective. And again, I, I covered you. I know how you think. Um, and, and I mean, it really was fascinating. I don't think it's something that the average fan or media member would even notice that basically this guy started World War III on the ice, then was the only one to not take part and let his pe- teammates do the dirty work. And, you know, what if one of his teammates gets hurt in that situation that he caused and things like that? Um, you know, my, my biggest question, actually, because, again, knowing you, is, you mentioned this thing that you have on your iPad. How long did it take you to make this video, to narrate this video? Because I thought, I mean, the pausing, the 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 highlighting on every single thing, the you know, his his facial reactions, everything, I thought was genius. Uh, again, whether you agree with you or not, I mean, it was just like perfect commentary from somebody that, you know, you would you would think would have years and years of broadcasting experience. Uh, so the it actually didn't take long at all. Um, it the, the hardest thing actually is trying to consolidate it to around two minutes because it'll cut it off. It cuts off when I when I get that and I I turn it over to then Twitter. I got like a I think that one's maybe just over. It's like a two minute five seconds or something that I don't know what the rhyme or reason is. But when I've done it doing other breakdowns, it won't it won't put it on Twitter. So I think that's the hardest part is that was probably take two because I did take one and I was happy with it. But then it was I looked at the time. I'm like, oh, I'm over. Damn it. So I had to go do it again. But as far as it, it's, it's cool. And that's what I love about it is because you, when you have that little scrubber dial, <clears throat> you can just kind of go back and forth, kind of boomerang things, look at things. And uh, it was funny though, because I, uh, I, the first time I did it and I still do it now. And I think it's just from doing it on TV, Jameson Coyle, who I work with um, always chirps me. He's like, Hey, your little breakdowns that you're doing at 1130 at night on your couch, who are you talking to when you say, bring it back, bring it back a little bit. I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm having my own calls to the edit room, but I'm, I'm the edit room. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just the way I do it. So I'm like, let's bring that back a little bit. But, um, you know, it doesn't take long. It's fun. It's funny how many people reached out to me and were like, Hey, how'd you do that? And I gave the app uh, name and it's, uh, it, whatever. I, I think this is stuff that is again, whether it's me or anybody else, I love this stuff. I want it as soon as I have. I don't want it to be a produced thing that we think about overnight. Now we break down 100 ways. Let's get reactionary stuff. I might be right. I might be wrong. But these conversations, I want it. I want it straight from the source, like from what you're feeling in that moment. Great, great stuff. I I totally agree. Um, To to transition to around the league, we we mentioned, uh, obviously, you won a Stanley Cup with the Devils, played the majority of your career there. I think they're one of the biggest stories around the league right now. Um, my biggest question is, how legit do you think this team is? I mean, we've seen teams start out well and and fizzle as the season goes on. I guess, how legit do you think they are? And, and what do you like most about what they're doing in New Jersey right now? Um, they're not a New Jersey Devils type team. I don't think we've thought that of them over the last number of years. I just think for so long since this team came into the league, um, it's been a boring team. I mean, listen, I, the Minnesota Wild were viewed that too. And it took a while for them to shed that, right? And it's just like you get labeled that. And this is the furthest thing from it. I, I would say 
as much as we watch and tune in to see Connor McDavid play, it's must watch TV for the casual fan, a fan that's, or somebody that's not even a fan of hockey. Just, hey, I tune in when Edmonton's playing. You're going to see some stuff, you know, and Leon and, and all that good stuff. Don't have the big extravagant name with the New, New Jersey Devils at, at this point. But I would say that is really fun hockey to watch for a casual fan or if if some fans have an off night from their team playing, tune into a Devils game. Like they play it a they play it a unique clip, the way they zip the puck around. Uh sustainability. Um probably not to this level that they're at right now. But I think what we've seen you can't ignore, and this should be a team that probably should be in the hunt there come playoff time is being a bubble team. Uh, the goaltending will have to stay strong because that's been something that's been good for them. And I don't know if we were able to even like Seattle, New Jersey last year. How do you really assess the teams? Cause the goaltending was so bad. So they're finally both teams getting goaltending. They look pretty good. So um, I, I will say this though, my biggest concern long-term for this devil's team. And I like their future. I don't know what you guys think about this. I think the way these last two negotiations have gone with Jesper Bratt and the way he's come out this year and played, he's going to have to get paid. He's an RFA again. I want to ask you guys this. I love what you guys have been. Can you sign him long-term, big dollars, and have Hughes, Heeshare, and Bratt eating up all that salary cap and all being under six foot? you like eight. That that to me, I don't know if if the, that's the one thing that that's got me on this team in the future. How are they going to handle Jesper Bratt? Are they going to give him what he deserves and what, what he will probably earn in the open market? If he does, like, what are you going to? This team needs size in their top six to get to that next level. I don't know. That's a small that's a small talented group, but come playoff time, I don't know if I like their build. You know. Let me ask you about another team that you might not like their build, and that's the Minnesota Wild. Um, you know, they, they, I, I almost feel like you were just talking about them minus the winning right now. Um, they <laughs> are, I mean, they, they just, it's not even that just that they're Mike, that I was, let's, let me start this. I was talking to an, a former NHL coach the other day that told me there's one team in the league that he doesn't even recognize from last season, and that's the Minnesota Wild. He felt that they were one of the best wall teams in the league last year, one of the best North South teams in the league last yep. year. And this year, he's seeing a team that is not just undersized, but soft on the walls, um, lacking depth up and down their lineup. Obviously, they're very, very banged up, undersized on the back end. Um, What is your make of this team? Because it just it does feel like this is a very, very different feel than last season, knowing even that they lost the Fialas and players like that. Yeah. um, This is the part that I think some teams are going through. I think Minnesota is one of them. I think back to when Torts was coaching. And Torts, I didn't have him that long. But, man, I wish I had him my whole career. The mental side of playing in the NHL is so big. And, you know, I'll speak uh, I'll speak candidly the way Torts would speak to us uh, to some degree. But he would, uh, he would say he would say stuff to us. So, like, we, we made it, uh, you know, in, in 2012, we went to Eastern Conference Finals, lost to the Dells. And we were cruising through. We were present, up for the President's Trophy with Vancouver the entire season. And going in the playoffs, and, and we make it through each round. And then, you know, we lose a couple games shy of the Stanley Cup Finals and come back the next season. 
the one message that he always says to us, and I think it's really, really important, is you haven't you haven't done a goddamn thing, is what he would say. You haven't won anything. You haven't accomplished shit. It, like, don't let it get good to you. That's John Tortorella. We've probably all heard those things from him. And it's so true because what made Minnesota so unique last year, they played with a chip on their shoulder. Like, they were a tough team to play against, and they were from the grief line through – doesn't matter how big and how small, like they competed hard and they can play multiple ways. I just wonder, do they think they arrived? Do, do they think that they've accomplished something? New York Rangers look the same way. You know, the Rangers played above expectations. They just lack that bite a little bit this year. And I don't mean bite like physicality and grit. Like I just mean just going out and, you know, I, I don't know. Let's use even Vegas an example. That was Vegas's MO when they came into the league. The last maybe two seasons, I feel like they lost that. They look like that angry team again, like that team with the chip on their shoulder. Like, yeah, they got something to prove. That's the thing. And, and Mike, you 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 watch every second of them. You would know better than me. But from my you know perspective, um, they just don't look like they have that same that same drive this year. Mm-hmm. And, and but then there's also some of the natural things that come into play when you have career years from players. It's going to be tough. You need something else. You need somebody else to pick up the slack. So an example, like, I mean, Kevin Fiala, they had to do that. All right. That's gone. That's a, that's a hole in the lineup. Well, who's going to pick that up? Uh, you know, uh, Zook and, and Kirill were amazing. The chemistry that they came through with Hartman last year. And then, all right, well, you, you can't expect that just to automatically be back again, right? Like what else is going to happen here? And, uh, you know, you had great Erickson act, awesome seasons, uh, uh, Felino, like there was, there's some really good storylines and right now they're all lacking. It seems like, right. So, yeah. um, it's, it's, it just don't have that edge. I'm not willing to throw in the towel on these guys. You know, it's kind of funny. And I, I don't know what you think, Mike, I want to ask you this too. It's like, I actually feel like the, the guy who carried on last year into this year, the most is probably Matt Boldy. Like he, mm-hmm. he, to me, at least seems like he looks a little bit like what he was last year. I don't think there's many guys on that roster that do. Yeah, no, you're exactly. I mean, and this was my concern coming into the year is that so many guys had career years that you just feel like their regression is going to be natural. I didn't think that six guys would regress. And they have a couple guys playing their worst hockey that that I've ever seen them play. And and a couple guys that were given unbelievable opportunities that have literally done nothing right now, like Tyson Jost and Sam Steele. So, I mean, uh, it's just going to be interesting how Bill Guerin navigates this whole situation, Mike. So. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And I, I, I was talking about this the other day, too. And I, I know that I've talked to you about it before as well. But we all know we all know that they need entry level guys thriving, that that's that's they need this for the next three years or whatever. And so this these cap issues with with those buyouts kind of resolve. Um, this is a tough part because Marco Rossi is the singular guy on that roster that has the skill that they need to step up. But it's not, you can't rush players. You can't manufacture players to adjust. Like every player adjusts at their own speed. The problem is Minnesota doesn't have time for that. You know what I mean? Like they need Marco Rossi to do it now. And it's almost unfair to him. But at the same time, like you said, players are getting opportunities and you've got to take advantage. But they're in a really tough spot because they need, they need those younger players to be 
to be impactful and play outside their boots a little bit. Switching gears a little bit, Mike, uh, one of the games tonight always jumps out to me anytime you got the pens and the caps. Crosby versus Ovechkin, 63rd time. <clears throat> I, I always wow. watch it. I always love it. 2005 was a long time ago. These two guys are still getting it done. Um, you know Sid. You played with Sid. I, I've almost come to start just collecting Sid stories because I find him fascinating. Uh, we we only see the guy on the ice who puts up points and then you know gives kind of, let's be honest, cliche answers in, in, in interviews. But yeah. I love hearing behind the scenes, whether it's his – superstitions or just things he's done as a captain. You alluded to it earlier when he fought the room went nuts. Give us a, give us a Sid story. Maybe that we haven't heard from behind the scenes that would just kind of, you know, let us know what kind of guy Sid is that we don't get to see when, when the mic's on. Well, I think what we do see a lot of it is real with him, but then I agree with you. The answers are going to be, you know, you know, pucks in deep, give 110%, good bunch of guys in the room. We know he's going to say that, but we know that's not Sid in the dressing room, right? No, no, he's, he's not. He's, uh, I guess the biggest thing that I would say with Sid is he's a big kid. He is, um, you know, we used to play, geez, uh, it wasn't Call of Duty. It was SOCOM was kind of the, the game back that we play on our, uh, PS Vitas or PSPs, whatever they were at the time. We'd always play like video games. He, Sid is very into military movies, documentaries. He's in all that stuff. He loves it. Uh, so I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of Sid. Uh, so the one time, so we, we would play, I think to- on HBO, the 24 seven for the winter classic showed us playing that and we would play. And it was just funny because um, when I got there, they're like, Hey, uh, do you have a, do you have a PS, a PSP, a PlayStation portable or whatever? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I got one. And they're like, hey, get so calm. We got this game we got going. So I remember at the time it was like, it was Flower, uh, Max Talbot, Ruslan Fedotenko, Sid, myself, Jay McKee. Uh, I'm missing some. We had we had about eight guys, eight or nine guys that all had these these games. And we go on the plane and you could play like a local uh, match, right? And we'd be playing. We talked so much shit. It was so much fun on those planes, you know, and just going and whatever. And then we'd have like weekly rankings we would put out. Guys would get so angry because you like we'd have like a guy, you know, someone put out the weekly rankings and and uh, just to prod people. And but anyways, I remember one time we were like we, we got to whatever city short flight and the, it was like, hey, let's play some more. Like we were into it. Like let's play, let's go online and play. We can create our own um, clan and we can play online against someone. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> we're like grown men. We all go to one hotel room and we're sitting on the floor. There's like guys like sitting in the bed. Like we all have our little things on. We hook to the, into the Wi-Fi at the hotel and we start our own clan. And we called it like, they called it, I think it was just pit or something like that. So we're online playing and there's this, uh, you can hear the voices and they're like, they're like kids. And it makes us feel so stupid. There's kids that are dominating us playing this game. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, uh, I'm like starting to look at him. Like, can you imagine if like a like a fan or somebody would like realize <laughs> who their players? And I started looking at all of our our tags, our gamer tags. I was Rupper Seventeen. It was Tanger Fifty Eight. It was Flower. I'm like, good lord! Like we couldn't hide this at all. You know? <laughs> Sid, Sid, Sid was Saving Private Ryan Eighty Seven. Uh, so like, there's all these different things, and I just remember like these kids just dominating us. But like that, that's the stuff. Sid would sit there like he was just a big kid away from the ring. Um, you know, you want to get out on the road, he'd go and 
um, get a real competitive game of mini golf somewhere, get guys together before dinner and go do that. Uh, the, the one thing I will say with Sid that's incredible, and this is just how he works at everything. He wants to be the best at everything. Um, we, Sean Casey, you know, former, uh, the mayor, former MLB, uh, player was uh, setting up batting practice for us with the pirates. And we want to do something on the side. We didn't really want like media or any cameras there. We just wanted to kind of go and do BP. So, uh, so we were setting up BP and we had like seven or eight guys that were going to go do it. And so Sid calls and Sid knows from talking, like I played competitive uh, basketball and baseball growing up and Sid played competitive um, baseball as well. And Sid was like, uh, he calls me up the day before and he goes, Hey, when, when was the last time you swung a bat? And this is, you know, I'm just probably, uh, 29 years old. So I'm like, Oh, sw- actually swung a bat. I probably haven't swung a bat in 12 years, you know? And, uh, he's like, let's go to the batting cage. Let's go to the batting cage and like hit a few before tomorrow. Like, we might not ever do BP again. Let's get a, in a few, a few licks. I'm like, all right. So we just go to like this North of the city. Uh, we go to this mob and pop place and we come walking in and sh- certainly I could go into a place like that. And, and Pittsburgh's pretty good with recognizing players, but like, no one's going to really bother me. Hey, you know, good game last night, whatever. Sidney Crosby literally can't go anywhere. Like he can't, he does his, his Christmas shopping on the road in Arizona because he can go to a mall there. Maybe people won't notice somebody, you know what I'm saying? So we go to this place and we got like two rounds of quarters before everyone's texting and calling and then people just come and they're watching. So we, we got in some, we got in some hits. We went the next day for BP and it was like Sid's in there and, uh, smooth left-hand swing honestly a lot like little ken griffey like the real smooth left-hand swing he hits one he hits one out of this literally out of the stadium one hops it out of the stadium into the river like it hits the very top down right so pnc park right field is pretty short hit the top one of the top steps and bounce out of the stadium and just yeah i'm good you know and it's just the, the guy <laughs> is awesome at everything and he wants to be the best at everything. He doesn't even want to uh, be mediocre because he hasn't swung a bat in 10 years. Uh, he's going to make sure he's on point. He was, uh, he was the best hitter that day. Absolutely fantastic stories. Uh, I, this, this stuff reminds me. So, like, I've been talking to a lot of the Golden Knights players this year, and they're, and they're mentioning how much better the vibes are off the ice. And just these stories you're telling me, like, I, how much of that – impacts on the ice stuff like i heard stories last year the golden knights were going through injuries they just felt like the vibes weren't great off the ice they were missing some guys and and they i feel like they kind of attributed that to the struggles obviously you're missing big guys that was a big part of it but you've been on so many teams i guess do you, do the vibes off the ice impact on the ice and, and and how do you think that works yeah i think it does i think it does um I actually think that that's a big reason why the Calgary Flames haven't been able to find their game that much this year because they had to play so many home games to start. And they had a, a lot of big, important pieces that have changed on that team. I think it's important to get on the road, um, have some fun. You know, you find your your groove and your your, your guys you hang out with and, and just kind of create all that stuff. But it's, it's important to have fun and to have – we play a game, a game for a living. And it's a game that we dreamt of playing when we were kids. You can't lose sight of that. If you're losing sight of that, you, you're not performing at your best. And I remember um, just when I went to Pittsburgh, it was actually a good example for me that, uh, 
you know, we certainly won in New Jersey on a regular basis as far as just consistently we're a pretty good team and making the playoffs. It wasn't fun all the time, <laughs> you know, like it was, we weren't, we had, it was very strict. And, and I think that helped us. When I went to Pittsburgh, I'm like, oh, this is what like what it's like to play in the NHL. This is what it's like to live your dream. Like we had fun, and and I think that that's really important to uh, to to have those good vibes, like you mentioned. You got to get away from the game, but you got to have fun with the boys. You gotta um, you got to have some laughs. I mean, and then that translates because when you're going through some tough stretches, I think it's really important to have the right guys in the room that say the right things. Like you know, you'll we'll be. You know, there, there's times in my career where it's like you lose five in a row. You feel like, oh, my gosh, if we don't win this game. Everyone's getting traded. Like the coaches mean mugging us. The GMs mean mugging us, getting on the plane, off the plane, on the bus, off the bus. And it's like, you know, you just get this eerie quietness before the game, which isn't really a good feeling either. And then you just have a guy chime in, you know, we'll be in Vancouver and it'll be like, well, boys, I mean, we, we traveled all the way out here. You should probably, you know put up for some effort here, you know, just, just to kind of break the ice guys. Like, yeah, you know, I don't, maybe we should. Yeah. Let's try to, you know, tire skates up a little tighter tonight. You know, let's get going. You know, just this break the ice, like keep it, you laugh about it. You have fun with it. Um, you can't take it too seriously. And I think that gets the best results. It certainly has in Vegas and a couple other teams as well. And it, it was a great result for us having you on the show, Mike. I look forward to the video of you breaking down this interview and, and you know, going <laughs> back and forth on Russo going, you see, Russo's not engaged here. And then yeah. Jesse did this and robbed it. We, we very much look forward to it. I don't know if it'll get 1.2 million views, but uh, it should be fun. Thanks for doing this, Mike. Really appreciate it. Awesome, guys. Anytime. Mike Rupp, analyst on the NHL Network and Twitter superstar. After the break... Hey, and by, by the way, Rob, if, if you want to hear more of Mike Rupp, I, I did a Winter Classic podcast with him last year that was fabulous. He talks about his time with the Danbury Trashers, and uh, he is now, as we just saw, a multimedia uh, star. Yeah, that's on, his, that's on his Wikipedia page, by the way, the, yep. the Trashers. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure that he got uh, just very sensible Toronto Maple Leafs going after him the other uh, day. Leaf fans are, are calm, cool, collected, and only think logically. Yeah. yeah, my first job in broadcasting was screening leaf calls after Saturday night games on the Fan 590 <laughs> Toronto. So trust me, I'm being very, very facetious. After the break, rapid fire. Don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. I'm going to give you a bunch of topics. Give me the first thing that pops in your head. Jesse, I want to start with you on this one. Jack Eichel heading back to Buffalo 
not the first time. If you remember the last time he was in Buffalo, he said it was the loudest the place has ever been. It only took seven years <laughs> of me leaving uh, for the, the fans to get into the game. What kind of uh, reaction are you expecting tonight? They booed him the entire game. Like, not one second of the game did they not boo Jack Eichel. And that was before he took the shot at them uh, after the game that, like, set the city on fire. Uh, I <laughs> I can imagine it's going to be even worse this time. It's a tough spot for Jack Eichel. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Last game, Buffalo got the win. Alex Tuck scored a goal, obviously involved in that trade. Uh, it was a crazy storyline. Just everything that, like, it was exactly how Buffalo had drawn it up. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I expect him to get booed mercilessly the entire game. Yeah, now the fans uh, have something to uh, boo him about because they're actually pretty good. Um, you know, although, man, I watched that Arizona game yesterday, and that was uh, not a good effort by the by the sabers but i I bet yeah you know that's going to be part of the charm of uh eichel going back but uh uh, you know eichel strikes me as somebody that's you know not going to care that's definitely not going to make him uh you know he's not going to crumble to the weight of the fans in buffalo i think he's going to come on there and be pretty motivated to keep the as jesse just pointed out on the first segment best team in the league rock and rolling it's actually one of my favorite things in not just hockey sports i love returning players who the fans hate it's I was literally in uh, what was then the Air Canada Center when Vince Carter came back after he was traded for the Raptors. And the boo was not only the loudest boo I'd ever heard, it was actually startling. Like the actual first B, <laughs> boo, like startled me. It was that loud. And I, I love seeing it. That's what, that's what you pay your tickets to go to a game and express what you want to say. Um, sucks, Senator. By the way, I'm, I'm yep. so old that I uh, covered Vince Carter in high school. In Daytona Beach. Just aging yourself, Russo. Yeah, Don't you know the first one? You're not supposed to age yourself. Um, so the Ottawa Senators officially put the for sale sign out on the lawn uh, this week. And Ryan Reynolds, yes, that Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool himself, first responded on Twitter just saying, interesting. Then goes on Fallon and confirms, yes, I do have interest in this hockey team. Um, and then was at the Sens Canucks game last night, which I thought was hilarious because he's looking to buy the Sens, but he's from Vancouver and he was cheering the Sens goals. Um, but your thoughts on, let's be honest, a, a movie star wanting to buy the Ottawa Senators, Russo. Well, he was on Fallon, as you mentioned, and he mentioned, uh, it, you know, in a comedic way that he needs to find somebody with deep pockets to help him buy the Ottawa Senators. And, uh, and then, uh, and in that, uh, interview with Jimmy Fallon, he said that he needs to basically find a sugar mommy or sugar daddy. Well, the best thing that came out of this whole thing so far is that Gary Bettman, in only the way that Gary Bettman could say, in a, in a, almost a condescending way, said yesterday at his press conference, he goes, he was quite articulate on The Tonight Show last night with Jimmy Fallon, that he would be very interested in that he needs either a sugar mommy or a sugar daddy with a lot of money to help him. So, one, he got Gary Bettman to say sugar mommy and sugar daddy, so I think that's awesome. But two, I mean, if you know Gary as well as I do at this point, that quote does not ring endorsement of like even buying that this is legit that Ryan Reynolds is going to get in because he's basically coming out and saying, you know, the the point of him saying this was like, uh, we have you're making a big deal about a guy that wants to just come in as a minority owner that needs somebody with deep pockets to help him. And so I don't know if this is going to come into fruition, but it's uh, definitely making for some fun, fun news in uh, in Canada's capital. This would be so good for hockey. It would be so good for hockey. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is hilarious. Everyone loves him. His movies are great. He's his like if, if you if anyone who follows him on Twitter, he is so 
sarcastically hilarious. And he's just, he, I feel like the NHL needs this. Uh, even last night, like you mentioned, Rob, the, the, like they showed him on the Jumbotron. Even the players on the bench, the Senators players were yeah. banging their sticks. Like every, like the, this is a guy who everyone knows. I feel like it can bring attention to, to hockey in, in America, more attention than it gets, especially a team like the Senators. It would be great. And like Michael said, the best thing is it's getting Gary Bettman to, to say sugar mommy and sugar daddy. Only Ryan Reynolds can do that. I, I want this to happen so bad. And I, yeah, he's probably not going to be the guy with all the money. He's going to be a minority owner if he, if he does do this, but he can be the forward facing owner. Like, can you imagine a press conference with Ryan Reynolds talking about like yeah. what GM they're going to hire? I would pay money. It's pay-per-view. This is must watch press conferences. Well, <clears throat> just, just imagine what could happen. I mean, it was only what? earlier this summer where we had the big athletic um you know expose on Yuji melnick and his ownership by katie string a mendez and dan robson and you go from this where the morale of this organization was at the all-time low to now maybe ryan reynolds being a owner of your team um i think what a better way to lift the morale of a franchise that was downtrodden so uh it's it'll be pretty pretty funny i'm with jesse on this one though for the league i mean Aside from when Gretzky got traded to L.A. when, you know, the Stallones and, and the Tom Hanks of the world were, show, were showing up to games, I find that the NHL has always been behind other leagues in that A-list superstar coolness. You know what I mean? Where the NBA's got celebrity owners, NFL's got celebrity. It's needed. It's it's absolutely needed. And yes, is he going to the, the piece of his pie is going to be very, very small if this thing does come to fruition. But even imagine just like the the commercials, the ads, anything like Ryan Reynolds will be on board. If I told you last week that they would be talking about the Ottawa Senators on the fucking Tonight Show, you guys would have said I'm insane. Like this is this is a good thing. I want to see it as opposed to just some billionaire coming in and making it his toy and, and not making it fun. So it's like uh, it's like when Matthew McConaughey owned a piece of the Athletic. It's funny that that same way. <laughs> Um, sticking with the Senators, Chris Neal's going to have his number retired, which is interesting. Uh, can you think of another bottom six forward that should have his number retired by an NHL club? I mean, you know, they, he's a fan favorite. And what's what's the point? It's the honor. It's not necessarily about the great players. Are you in favor of someone like, uh, with no disrespect to Chris Neal, but Chris Neal having his number retired? Jesse? I'll, I'll give credit to Greg Wyshynski because he tweeted something similar to this and I could not agree more with it. And it's that I'm going to leave it to the organizations to decide whose numbers deserve to be retired because mm -hmm. they understand the importance and the significance of players to that organization far more than I do. So while my eyebrows immediately went up like, who whose number is yeah. being retired? I... It's not like I, I, I haven't been to all the games. I don't know what he means to that team in the way that the fans and the organization does. So I think if the fans were in an uproar, it would be legitimately to, like we, we you, you have an argument of like, OK, maybe this guy shouldn't. But if the fans all agree and the organization thinks I don't care what line he played on, I don't care how many goals he scored. If he's important enough to the organization, go ahead and knock yourself out. Yeah, it felt like that more Minnesota Wild fans questioned Miko Koivu's number going to the rafter than Ottawa fans uh, questioning Chris Neal, uh, which I think, you know, probably does say something. And I think it was Bruce Garrick that tweeted, like, you have to live in Ottawa to really understand this. You know, um, uh, you know, the only other part of this to me, though, is, is it just it does seem weird. All right. I mean, let's be honest. Chris Neal, even though I'm sure Ottawa senators will go to their grave telling me I'm wrong, was not the most honest player. 
um, in a day and age where we're talking about head injuries and, you know, he blew out some knees and things like that. And just, it does seem, you know, he just wasn't the cleanest player. And, and now you're celebrating that by putting that number up to the rafters and saying that that guy had never, that nobody should ever wear number 25 again in Ottawa Senators history. It just seems a little peculiar, but um, hey, uh, again, I don't live in Ottawa and I didn't cover Ottawa. And so uh, obviously Ottawa fans love him. I want Ryan Reynolds take on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, finally, guys, I touched on this with uh, with Mike Rupp, but I want your opinion because it's Sid versus Ovi for the 63rd time. But here's you talk about peculiar. 2005 was a long time ago, okay, uh, when they first played their, their first NHL game on the same day. And here we are, you know, 2022. They're playing each other for the 63rd time. Can you believe they have the exact same amount of points going into tonight's game? 1,423 points. Um, this marquee matchup has lasted a lot longer than I thought it necessarily would. Um, and these two are still getting it done. Is this one of those things that you circle on your calendar and say, I'm watching Sid and Obi tonight? Bruce, I'll start you. Yeah, still to this day. I mean, they're two of the biggest competitors. Their personal rivalry, I think, was great for the league at their heyday as well. And as you mentioned, I mean, it is unbelievable that they, I mean, just think of uh, what it takes to get the exact amount of points here. How many games were missed by some of the, about both these guys as well. And to be at this point, it just shows their consistency every single year. Um, they're both playing still at an unbelievably high level. Um, you know, both their teams are, you know, sort of in that middle of the pack road now. And we're going to see uh, at, at their both that this, uh, at this, you know, ripe age that they are, if they're going to be able to kind of get their teams out of the doldrums a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for tonight's game. And, and I, it's, it's partially the rivalry and the fact that they're both still good. Like, this isn't yeah. old man Ovi and old, old kid Sid, like, just being drug along, like, oh, he's still part of the team. No, they're, like, the best player on their team still or, or one of the best players on each of their, their teams. And to me, part of why I'm so excited about tonight's game is what Michael said. They, these teams are not off to good starts. And uh, Sid and Ovi have battled in the playoffs when they were the two most talented teams in the NHL and only one of them can get through. But they now they're in a different spot and they're they're playing for teams that are like to me, like at crossroads, like are these teams going to be playoff teams or are they finally we've been waiting for both these teams to fall off that cliff with old age for so long. Like, are they finally doing it? I think I'm tonight. I'm pumped to see two guys that have competed against each other forever at the top of the heap. Now they're they're battling against each other to keep their teams in in the fight. Um, I'm excited for it. Yep. We'll see who has more career points by the end of the night. Uh, what <laughs> we'll are we probably be even. Yeah. What are we working on today, this week, boys? We'll start with you, Mike. Um, I'm still working on that Jake Middleton piece. Uh, it'll come out. Finish and I'm the damn get, Jake Middleton piece. I know. I, I, I mean, part of it is also like, I, you know, like the team has just been so weird that it's just like, all right, do I want to, you know, in the middle of, two shutout losses in a row throughout this big, uh, you know, really fun feature on them. So doing that, working on this Mike Madonna piece, uh, working on another uh, story that I'll keep a little secret. I'm actually might be infiltrating uh, Jesse's beat this week. I'm actually supposed to get down, get together with uh, Kelly McCrimmon. So I might be writing about Vegas next week. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, getting together with, with uh, since I, I figured since I'm in Vegas on vacation, I should try to do one work thing. <laughs> and then what happens in Vegas? stays at vegas thanks boys we'll see you next week i want to remind everybody to follow us on your favorite podcast platform you can leave a rating and a review it helps us out a lot gets the word out about these three knuckleheads who talk hockey every single wednesday uh remember you can subscribe to the athletic audio plus on apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from the entire network <laughs> what's 
Was that Gary Bettman interrupting my plug? Mommy or sugar mommy or sugar daddy. <laughs> yeah, you need sugar mommy or sugar daddy for 99 cents a month. I don't know if you need a sugar daddy for 99 cents a month. Uh, and right now you get an annual subscription to The Athletic, just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. For Jesse, for Mike, for Gary Bettman. He needs either a sugar mommy or a sugar daddy with a lot of money to help him. I think those were his exact words. (laughs) I'm Rob. We'll talk to you next week. See you next Wednesday.